We're introducing Megan the old way to a man called Otto and using tar to fight the enforcer. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome back to the show, and we are starting, of course, with some brand new movies that are out this week. So um, let's start with uh, Tar Van. Talk to me about this. I've got a feeling that this isn't going to get a great review from you. Well, I, I mean, I'll be really honest with you. The cleverest thing I can think about Tar is that the reason it's called Tar is that's how difficult it is to get through. Like, <laughs> if you're really running with the visual metaphor, and that sounds that is so bad. I know that makes me the worst person ever to say that. Um, okay, so this stars Kate Blanchett, which means, of course, that Kate Blanchett is the best thing in it because Kate Blanchett is the best thing in anything she's. In. She was in a Marvel movie once, remember that? She was the best yeah. thing in that Marvel movie. She's Kate Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett is an award winning, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, 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 oh, what do you call it? The, the, the head of the symphony. <laughs> oh, conductor. Conductor. I was going to say composer. I'm sorry. <laughs> conductor of. Conductor of the orchestra, who uh, we start to get this very slow peerage into her life as she starts to become more and more critically acclaimed. She becomes a fixture of high society, and more and more the cracks start to appear within both her professional and personal lives. Through this uh, increased focus upon her by the spotlight, as she starts to become more and more increasingly like next level acclaimed, and this brings out the sexual misconduct that may or may not lie within. I've got a clip for you, but of course remember, this is Kate Blanchett, so all of this is composed exactly as composed as you would imagine Kate Blanchett might do. Have a listen. Time is the thing. Time is, is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. Now, my left hand, it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real right. time, making right. the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time really? it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. See, that's kind of drawn me in, if I'm honest. I quite like the sound of that movie. <laughs> right, it, it sounds better than it actually plays. Like, I mean, for one thing, it's two hours and 38 minutes oh, long. Yeah, that's long. And it's, yeah, it's a very talky, dramatic thriller. As in, it's a sequence of scenes of people stood in rooms 50% of which is usually Kate Blanchett, which is, you know, justifies it all, to be fair. But it just, it goes on and on and on. And I just, I, I saw this with a friend of mine, a critic friend of mine, who told me in advance, excitedly told me in advance, that he was really excited to see this because it was his second time. It was so good the first time. He just couldn't wait. And I, I had high expectations based on that. And I just found it... 
and then you were very disappointed. <laughs> I'm going to have to give him a talking to, if I'm honest. I, 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 I need a chat with him. I need to make sure everything's all right at home. Um, I have to say, Kate Blanchett is terrific, isn't he? But it's just such a measured, ponderous sequence of disjointed, very cold, apathetic scenes that I think insist upon themselves largely by virtue of the weight of Kate Blanchett's performance, which, as I say, Kate Blanchett can mine anything from anything. She's incredible. I love Kate Blanchett. Like, fair play to her. It's beyond that, though. I felt like I was watching The Assistant for Grown Ups. And I think we talked about The Assistant uh, a, a while back, which was in and of itself like a mock Soderbergh movie. So I just wasn't really on board with this. I just thought, oh, yes. N- who's turning up for this? Really? Maybe everyone's turning up because of the trailer, because to me, that was quite interesting. But if that's all it's got going for it, then I suppose, you know, what you've said is justifiable. Yeah, I think I think to be honest, we I think we're going for people who want a really high end sort of I I pay for Guardian premium, you know, kind of tier audience with the way that it's marketed, the way that it's staged. I feel like that's who right. they're going for, and I feel like they may enjoy it, but that's a niche audience. Having said that, Kate Blanchett genuinely is so good in it that I think she might actually get some sort of awards contention for this. Like I that think she be... may genuinely get like a best actress nomination. <laughs> that would certainly be uh funny considering what no. you said about the movie. I, I think that's absolutely the case. She's so good in it. She really is so good in this. Oh, it's a bit of a shame that it lets uh, it lets her down, I suppose, on that front. Um, so that's Tar. That's out in cinemas from today. So let's talk about a couple of movies that opened over the uh, over the holidays. So we've got Empire of Light, uh, directed by Sam Mendes, uh, Mendes either, even, and of course our favourite Olivia Coleman. Oh, we love Olivia Coleman, don't we? Who doesn't love yeah. Olivia Coleman? What kind of joyless person doesn't love Olivia Coleman? Uh, Empire of Light, new one from Sam Bedders. It's got to Roger Deakins as cinematographer, which is worth noting as well, because, you know, Roger Deakins is... He, he, he's the darling. It's between him and Emmanuel Levesky, I think, at the moment, amongst the cinematographers, who are just the darlings for all the Oscars. They are the Hans Zimmers of cinematography at this yeah. moment in film. And fair play to them, because they're both genuinely terrific. And uh, Roger Deakins, as you'll remember, was the cinematographer on 19, uh, 1917, a couple of years ago as well. Uh, yeah. The famous stage as a sort of single shot. And uh, he, he's gone to 1980s Margate, I think, with this one, with Olivia Coleman and Michael West and Colin Firth and Toby Jones. And it's this wonderful story of uh, literally an empire cinema on the coast, on the seafront, and the staff in there, particularly Libby Coleman's sort of assistant manager type, and her mental health troubles and her relationship with a young man and how um, his race, because he's a young uh, black British male, uh, how that fits into the, the rise of the national front around the time. And it's, uh, it's very sweet. It's a bit disjointed, to be honest. It loses its focus a little bit, but um, it, it's one of those films that you know has been made absolutely in service to its love of cinema and Sam Mendes heaps that on like really really thick and just lathers it in there it's uh, it's one of those movies you come away from with like a shopping list of, of other movies to look up like uh, Peter Sellers in Being There 
and I, I, I really enjoyed that about it. But I say it, it was a bit disjointed. I think it's one more maybe for the nostalgia of the grandparents than anything else. But good movie, yeah, Empire Light. Like, it's out now, so Olivia Colman. She'll get a BAFTA at the very least. Okay, uh, and of course, Till, uh, T-I-L-L, uh, opens during the holidays as well. This is the one that's got Whoopi Goldberg in, isn't it? Yes, Whoopi Goldberg is both in it and she's a producer on it, I think, and it's the latest wow. from, from Clemency director uh, Chinonye Chukwu, and it stars uh, Danielle Deadweiler as the mother of Emmett Till, who goes um, over the course of Emmett Till's you know, uh, lynching and murder in the mid-1950s, through the course of that goes from being effectively a sort of you know head down, buried in the sand, you know, suburban, not so much suburban, but urban uh, Chicago worker to an outright activist on behalf of, you know, things that were happening in the South that she just didn't think were her problem before, as we're told by the story. It's really powerful, uh, this one. It's a bit boilerplate. It's a bit sort of typically reminds you of the mid-90s when we adapted every John Grisham novel as, as clockwork. And uh, it's a bit like that, but there's a really great performance at the centre of it by Danielle Deadweiler that uh, I think makes it worthwhile. And uh, I'd say you've got uh, Whoopi Goldberg in there as well, uh, Sean Patrick Thomas, uh, Frankie Faison, just a great cast in there. I'd say it's one of those, if you like movies like A Time to Kill uh, from the 90s, like this is definitely one to check out. Even if you want sort of a trashy answer, you know, comparatively to something like To Kill a Mockingbird, despite the fact that it's a true story, definitely go for something like this. All right, well, that sounds like you got two thumbs up for Empire of Light and Till there, uh, both out now. They came out during the holidays. Um, so that's it for, for now. We'll be back in a moment with um, The Enforcer to talk about and also The Old Way, which is the one with Nicolas Cage in, who lives just down the road from me, or at least he's got a house just down the road from me. So uh, we'll be talking... You know what? Carry on. You, have, you got, have you got your neighbour in a cage? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, it's the Nicolas Cage. He has a house near me. Um, but we'll talk about The Old Way and The Enforcer in just a bit, so don't go away. Hello, and we are back. A uh, big hello to you if you're listening in the gym, on a treadmill, in the car, in bed, or just taking a walk. And we're, we are coming through your ear pods right now. We are talking about more new movies out this week. Um, so, out today, The Old Way. Uh, this is the one with Nicolas Cage in, isn't it? Yeah, this is uh, this is the new one. Uh, this is this is the weird thing. Okay, so Nicolas Cage has now been in movies for forty-one years. Oh, can you believe that? Like it's that been forty-one. Yeah, I know, right? Like we don't think Nicolas Cage is that old, but he's been in films for forty-one years because he's been in films since ooh, is it the late seventies, early eighties. Um, this is his one hundred, I think, sixth. Role, wow! You're right. Okay, so he's been in 106 movies, TV shows, etc., and this is somehow his first western, which oh. is incredible. Yeah, he's been in that many movies. This is putting aside the number of John Woo movies he's in, which is admittedly a whole other subgenre. This is his first actual proper western, in which um, he's he's Brett Colton. 
he's uh, he, he's the badass outlaw who sort of retired from the life and has you know gone away from bounty hunting i think to uh, go and live a life with his you know one true love and they have a young daughter together and then one day uh, former disgruntled partners from his previous life find his home whilst he's out tending to the shop that he now owns and they murder his wife and he's left with their young daughter and he sets off on a bone tomahawk style trail for revenge the only problem is this is not bone tomahawk this is more like boar tomahawk so uh, have a listen (laughs) briggs i know you're upset hell i don't blame you but whatever you think you're doing you need to let these boys go Especially that Rossi and bring it here. My father wants your shotgun. Do what she says, Greg. I will blow this little girl's brains all over this valley. Do you hear me? I said I will blow her brains all over this valley. I'll pull the trigger right now. Weirdly, I can actually really picture Nicolas Cage in a Western. In my head, he just really suits that genre, which is crazy to think this is his first. I, I know that's the weird thing, is because he, he's embraced Western, you know, sort of old school Western iconography so many times throughout his career, particularly, like I say, John Woo movies. The thing about this, as you could hear in the clip as well, Nick Searcy is in there for the discerning, you know, that guy from that thing. Um, aficionado is out there. Nick Searcy. I love Nick Searcy. And he always plays sleazy government type. And here he's the marshal who's trying to, you know, keep Nicholas Cage from returning John Wick style to that life. And he's, I think, the standout of the movie. It's a 95-minute film that otherwise... I mean, 75 minutes in drops the lamest villain reveal you've ever seen because... It's so completely unsurprised. It's all laid bare there. And you're, you're left wondering confusingly if this is meant to be some kind of a twist. Um, which I guess is probably the case. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> it's really bland and without texture. And, and, and you, you want a certain thing, I think, out of Nicolas Cage in a Western. And this just feels very flaccid and docile. A very subdued, it wants to be unforgiven, but really it badly needs to beg for forgiveness. It's a very strange one. It's it's very direct direct video, you know what I mean? Well, is that that a case of Nicolas Cage not playing the part well, or is it down to the director, or what do you think the cause of that is? But that's the thing. I don't think there's a film there. I just don't think there's a film here. I think you're talking about, like, there's three scenes in this. Right. They've somehow been blown out to 95 minutes. And it, it feels like a performance piece. Like, literally that. You're, do, you're doing an, an acting showcase, but for some reason people have forgotten to tell you to stop, and it's just overrunning. You've gone into improv territory. And it just doesn't work. Like, Cage is overdoing it, but even then, he somehow still feels like subdued Cage, which is always an interesting Cage, but never a guaranteed enjoyable Nicholas Cage. You know what I mean? No, we're absolutely <laughs> used to the angry, in-your-face Cage, which is what I would expect and want to see. 
<laughs> but we all want to see anger in your face, Cage, all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that would be, be a vast improvement on this, most definitely. I didn't I didn't enjoy this, and I did think Nick... Because apparently he's done two Westerns back-to-back. He didn't do a Western for like 41 years, now he's done two back-to-back. So the next oh, one, I'll be interested to see what comes. All right, well, that's the old way. Uh, that's out today, if you want to go and see it. Let's talk about The Enforcer. Now, before you say anything, I just want to read mm-hmm. to you a quote that I read online about this movie, and it said, cheap film that never tries to make the most of a limited budget. I think that's fair, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I, I, do you know, we could, we, do you want to just go for a cup of tea? We, I think we could take the rest of the shift off. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's kind of bang on the money. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, I'll, I'll go with that. That's a good launching off point, to be really honest. Uh, so, <laughs> this is about... This is one of those movies, I think it's in my notes somewhere here on the iPad, that um, it, I think you would actually take this back to the petrol station and ask them to refund it from the petrol station recycle bit for the bargain bin <laughs> the petrol station. I think that's one of the things. And it's, it's really bad. Um, it's one of those like 98 minutes. I think it's 98. It's 90 minutes. Sorry, I thought it was 98. 90 wow. minutes. Um, just sort of very director DVD actioner that stars Antonio Banderas as that, you know, I've now reached 50. I've got a beard. I'm going to get the Keanu Reeves crew cut kind of yeah. hitmen uh, things that they do. It's got, um, I think it's Kate Bosworth in a, either a really terrible wig or just the worst haircut anyone's ever had. A series of power suits as this sort of crime boss who keeps hiring out his hitman. And he seems willing to go along with her crimes until he befriends a young sort of teenage girl who then disappears and he discovers may may or may not have been sold into a sex ring run by said terrible wigged crime lord boss and goes out equalizer like Denzel in the equalizer uh. goes out on a rampage to you know settle the score and free his teenage friend have a listen your boss she got some crazy ideas in that head of hers talking like she trying to take a cut of my now look, looks like you've been around the game a long time. What you think about that? You don't stay in the game this long without playing by the rules. <laughs> Mother, it's a trap house. That's right. It ain't no rules. I wouldn't be sitting where I am today if I played by the rules. Oh, do you know, if I'm honest, even that little clip that makes it sounds really cheesy and like really bad acting. It is. It's spectacularly awful. Like this is Steven Seagal, director DVD in the mid 2000s. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I, I was watching this thinking this is something absolutely atrocious. And yet at the same time, I've missed it because I don't get to watch many director DVD Steven Seagal action movies that star a rapper anymore and yet here we have what could only be described and this it blows the mind to be able to say this a career low for two chains which wow. uh, yeah a, a career low for two chains 
And I've I've watched the most expensivest, you know, on reality TV hosted by two chains. So that's that I'm coming I'm coming to that from a place of authority. I like to think, you know. Do you think maybe but, um, the cost of living is causing them to just say yes to any movie? I only I can only hope because this is just, <laughs> this is this is Josh Duhamel and Bruce Willis in two thousand eleven. Bad. Ouch. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I can say. It's uh, like I said, it's it's Banderas, and I want to say as well. I watched this after I watched Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, which we won't get to review for a few weeks. So I had Antonio Banderas's voice in in my mind in a certain way before I watched this, and then obviously I got to watch this pseudo Guy Ritchie. You know, we've got some pyrotechnics and and a, and, and a bunch of uh, of stunt coordinators who are vaguely willing to breach safety protocols. Before we got to all that, it it just doesn't somehow grip because there's nothing to this beyond the three or four scenes. Like I say, you'd pick this up for maybe three ninety nine in a petrol station DVD bargain bin, and on the neck, and you you you'd pop it back into your car in anger the following morning after you'd watched it, <laughs> and then maybe a week later when you went to fill up again that same garage, you'd remember out of absolute spite because that's how much of your time you'd feel was wasted that's that's how i felt about this well you can get it out of a bargain bucket or pay 20 quid to go and see it the choice is yours uh, that's the enforcer and it is out now um so still to come we're going to talk tom hanks with a very deep dark emotional film called A Man Called Otto uh, and we will uh, touch on I Want to Dance with Somebody which opened during the holidays as well so stay right where you are So hello and welcome back we are sticking with some more new movies that are out this week or some that have already been released over the Christmas holidays so let's get down to it then Tom Hanks A Man Called Otto it's got it's had some huge publicity is it worth it? Oh, I mean, in a nutshell, of course it's worth it. It's a Tom Hanks movie in awards season. I mean, you know that's worth it. If there's anyone that's going to bring, you know, bring the funk in awards season, it's going to be the Hanks, man. Yeah. And, you know, of course, if <laughs> it's one of those weird things, though. Um, this is a remake of a, I think it's a 2015 or 2016 adaptation of a... a, a two-year previous novel, Swedish novel, called A Man Called Ove. Yeah. And, right, this is going to get weird very quickly, so brace yourself, Adam. (laughs) So, yeah. So, in both versions, Ove slash Otto is a sort of 60-ish recent widower who is forced into retirement by his company through the machinations of, like, you know, middle management and and automation and things like that. And uh, he decides to take his own life. And uh, he is interrupted in his methodical and quite well well thought out attempt to take his own life by the arrival of new neighbours who can't quite work out how to park their truck in his driveway. You know, to, to, to turn around. And oh, they those disturb- neighbours, they always ruin yeah, the best things. Those, those darn neighbours, yeah. <laughs> and and this interrupts, and so he stops, or he's, he's interrupted from, and he goes and he, he plays hell with them, and he finds himself accidentally becoming a part of their lives. And then 
when that bit's over and he's he you know he's he's solved all their problems he he moves on he goes back to his own thing and he signs oh you know i've got to get back to this and he, he does it again and it happens again it's like the groundhog day of suicide starring tom hanks if you can imagine such a thing um have a listen this is Tom Hanks's neighbors trying to force force their dastardly friendship upon his life. Have a listen. Hi. Well, we wanted to properly introduce ourselves because you know we're going to be neighbors and everything. So. So. Okay. Okay. Bye. Are you always this unfriendly? I'm not unfriendly. Okay, you're not. No, 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 no. You're not unfriendly. Every word you say is like a warm cuddle. I think this is set up to be um, a dark, emotional, but, but I guess interesting and fun movie to watch fun very loosely used at the end there because I kind of know the premise of it obviously after what you've said but I think it's going to be Tom Hanks that completely carries this along like he does in all the other movies that he's in where he's the protagonist I mean absolutely the case yes Tom Hanks does indeed carry this along completely but on so many levels like first of all any movie starring Tom Hanks as you you rightly point out sir you know is being carried along by Tom Hanks he's Tom Hanks he's the most lovable man in the universe and from there comes a problem on the next level because the next level is you know the story of this as you can hear from the clip is he's meant to be a bit of a grump and Tom Hanks is a bit too lovable, I think, to sell as a grump. Then you've yeah. got level on top of that, a suicidal grump, to which like he's Tom Hanks. You know, he's everybody's dad. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, there's the level on top of that, which is how Tom Hanks is playing it in particular, as you can hear from the clip, which is it's quite heightened. It's quite, you know, it's quite elastic. It's quite animated. It's quite almost Turner and Hooch in the way he stages it. And you think, this seems insane. But then the more the movie goes on and on and you get into it and you get into the more nuanced, furthered elements of it, the more you start to... Because I'd forgotten the re, I'd forgotten the original. So this is obviously you know a remake or a re-adaptation of the novel or a remake of the previous adaptation. I'd forgotten it. I remember enjoying it. I'd forgotten the premise. And watching this, as it went on and on, the more I thought, actually, this... I think you needed Tom Hanks. I think if you'd gone a more faithful route to the character by Western, American, or European standards, or, or British standards, to say. Um, I think if you'd gone and done something like cast J.K. Simmons, or cast Tommy Lee Jones, you know, or casts, you know, anyone like that, I, I think you would have caught with something that would have really traumatised people. It's a really affecting movie. And it's perfect for Tom Hanks. He balances it out just right. It seems bonkers. It seems too far-fetched if you remember the original, you know, or if you even start to think about the premise. 
But it's a premise that doesn't work if you've not got everybody's favourite, you know, uncle, Tom Hanks there, <laughs> you know, to sort of soften the blow of it. I, I thought it was really, really good. I think it's credit to Tom Hanks that you've somehow managed to start the review by saying he probably shouldn't have had that part and it's a bit odd to ending by saying once you got into the movie and you accept the character and how he's portraying the character you are sucked in and he does an amazing job so again obviously an amazing uh, bit of acting from tom hanks there well i i it's one of those things as well you can cynically say well you know they, they've put this movie out now it's awards season like fair enough like this might get him a, a, a best actor nomination like hanks gets of course nominated. it will yeah hanks gets nominated more often than i think we give him credit for you know i i i love hanks like like i say he's everybody's fantasy uncle type is hanks yeah. you know we, we've all grown up with him at this stage, or he's, you know, our mum's crush or something like that. You know, Hanks is just part of the cinematic language. He is this century's Jimmy Stewart, you know, or, or actually the last half of the last century's Jimmy Stewart at the same time. And he does make this work. I think it's a really, really great movie. Um, it's, but it's a bit, I don't know, I think there's, there's something still, I think, a bit dark and a bit European to sell it to a, like a mainstream American-centric popcorn audience. And by that, I don't mean specifically America, but I mean certain certain more lantern-jawed audiences I don't think are quite going to go for this. I think some might still find it a bit dark. Well, I mean, as soon as I read that Tom Hanks was in it, I was going to watch it anyway. So this is definitely on Fair. my list. It's, it's in cinemas from today. Um, so quick mention to Corsage. What's that all about? Yeah, Corsage is a new period piece drama that opened in uh, in cinemas over the Christmas break. I think it's opened on Boxing Day, I think. Stars uh, Vicky Krieps as the uh, the queen. I think she's the queen of Finland. Or queen? No, she's the queen of Austria. Sorry, I'm getting my European continents mixed up. <laughs> uh, continents? I'm getting my, my European nations mixed up there. I think she was the Queen of Austria, who, upon uh, turning 40, uh, started to uh, break down and worry about her self-worth and decided to try and assert herself. And it all goes sort of horrifically wrong in a very The Favourite kind of way. If you remember that movie with, with Olivia Colman, who we, we mentioned earlier in uh, Empire of Light. Of course. Uh, Olivia Colman. That one was Rachel Weiss, I think, and uh, Emma Stone. Uh, directed by Yorgos Lantimos. Very fun, very witty movie. This is that, but without the style, I would say. Right. Like, it has that very chastised, watered-down the favourites uh, kind of feel. It made me, to be more than anything, want to go back and revisit the favourites rather than ever particularly think about or see it again. But I did enjoy Vicky Creep's performance in it. Okay. The corsage mm. out already. Um, and, of course, we've already touched on this, but it's worth another shout. The uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody biopic, of course, Whitney Houston. Uh, that opened during the, uh, the holidays. And I've lost count how many people that I've seen on social media or that have said to me face-to-face, we're going to see I Want to Dance with Somebody this weekend. So it's clearly a big, big hit. 
Exactly. Well, it's one of those movies, isn't it? It's the perfect thing to release over Christmas because it dropped on Boxing Day. Yeah. And Boxing Day, over in recent years, particularly in the last last decade, last couple of decades, I think, it's one of those things. It's like Halloween. You know how when we were kids, Halloween wasn't as universal a thing as it is now and now it's a mass marketed product boxing day cinema i feel like has kind of become a low-key part of that i feel like going to the cinema boxing day didn't used to be a thing when we were kids and has become a thing over the years and yeah the idea of families going I think has become increasingly a part of that. And I Want to Dance with Somebody is one of those movies that fits so perfectly into that. Because it's a a 12A rated movie. It's about a pretty family-friendly, you know, well-renowned America's sweetheart-like figure, but also it has her fall from grace, in this case, Whitney Houston. And it is her biopic. And it stars Naomi Aki, who I think is mostly known in the mainstream for a, a, a very low-tier supporting role in Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars Episode Nine. The character who I think it got tacked on at the end was Lando's maybe possibly daughter or something. And uh, I will say that movie definitely sold her short because she's terrific here. Like, shame on you, Star Wars, because you did yet another thing crap in Episode Nine, which was sell this terrific actor a short. You know what I mean? She's she's really great here. And uh, t- terrific supporting cast uh, in there. Uh, t- t- Tamara Tunney, uh, for instance, Clark Peters. Uh, I, I thought just a really uh, solid script from Anthony Carton, who had already done, I think he'd done a rewrite on uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, had done uh, The Theory of Everything, the Stephen, Stephen Hawking biopic. And this was boilerplate, was the worst thing you could say about it. But it had its moments where it flourished, and there were moments where it proved to be a bit daring. But then it cast it aside. And I'm talking about moments involving like Whitney Houston's sexuality and things like that, where it was quite frank for something that clearly had to be signed off on by the family, for instance, things like that. And you're like, this this has a cut above, but it never felt like anything as memorable as the Tina Turner biopic, What's Love Got to Do With It, for instance. Even though, I will argue, maybe as good a performance from Naomi Aki. Well, I've only seen uh, good things. Of course, Stanley Tooch is in this, I think, isn't he? He's a the Tooch, oh yeah. He is, yeah, he is, and of course, of course, he's the most beloved character in the whole movie. He steals the whole thing because you know he, he's the tooch. Of um, wouldn't be, would not be shocked actually in some other timeline if he turned up, if he was the only thing that turned up around awards season for like best supporting actor for this movie, like nothing else got nominated. That wouldn't shock me. He's that lovable in it. Yeah, no, he absolutely is. Well, of course, that's already out. I want to dance with somebody. It is in cinemas right now. Um, So we've got one more to do. We'll be back in just a bit when we talk about a sci-fi horror that looks, well, really creepy as far as I'm (laughs) concerned, called Megan, uh, and a few other new movies to talk about as well. So stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back for one last ride. So uh, we are sticking with more brand new movies that are out this week and we are going to start with a sci-fi horror that, in my opinion, looks pretty creepy. Megan, talk to me all about this, Van. 
This is this is a new one from Blumhouse, and I I love a good Blumhouse film. Like pour any Blumhouse film in me, because they've just become the go-to label for just fun, trashy, you know, mid-budget, not even mid-budget, but quite low-budget in some case. You know, throwaway mainstream studio horror thrills in the last two decades now it's gotta be two, i feel i feel like it's two decades it's probably gonna be about 10 years if you check it it feels like about two decades and uh, they've done things like the purge and get out and like all sorts of just really great not particularly expensive horror concepts here we have their take on what's effectively child's play but not child's play the original child's play the remake from three year three four years ago in which instead of being a, a, a possessed by a serial killer the killer doll was possessed with actually an ai that just went mental hmm. and that's what happens here so you've got what's literally a child's doll that's programmed with an alexa ai to basically respond to it and be its best friend. But it takes its Asimov Prime directives the wrong way and misconstrues it and then becomes the killer android that we see in literally every other version of, you know, this this classic story. But it, like all of these, it's the Blumhouse version. So it's done with a bit of self-awareness and a bit of smart. Have a listen to... So, so, hang on. So the whole premise here as well is that the, the little girl that the doll has been given to is an orphaned young girl whose aunt works at the toy company who has built the doll oh. and uses uses her bereaved niece, because you've got to lay this on really thick, uses her bereaved niece to actually sell and market the product to, like, the board. You know, the board of the toy company. Right. So what you're about to hear is literally her sales pitch of her child's grieving parent... Uh, of her, sorry, niece's grieving parenthood. Studies indicate that a staggering 78% of a parent's time is spent dishing out the same basic instructions. Oh my god, Katie, you have to flush the toilet. It is not that hard. So we found someone else to pick up the slack. Katie, flush the toilet. Flush your hands. Roll up your sleeves. Great job. It was my friend Jenny's birthday. Megan's an excellent listener. This guy told them that the 13th floor was haunted. And she even has a few stories of her own. If it was so, it might be. And if it were so, it would be. But as it isn't, it ain't. That's logic. Said Tweedledee. She'll never run out of ways to keep your child occupied. And she'll never run out of patience. Kitty, seriously, flush the toilet. This doll sounds like Ex Machina from Wish. <laughs> I can see how you'd land there. She's really, really creepy. Like, it, like within minutes, you, this is this is an iconic character who is going to worm her way into, I would say, one of the more one of the more iconic levels of one of the more iconic stages in the pantheon of of recent horror villains. Because we get one every few years, and you know, like Annabelle, for instance. Like Annabelle, I would say is quite yeah. an iconic. Like recent horror, the Babadook is another one. Like iconic characters who you could say this character will carry on long past the memory of their actual movie. I would say Megan stands a good chance in that way that Chucky did. In that have way they that given, Chucky, have, have yeah. they given Megan a sense of humour? Then 
Well, this is the thing, because Megan is not a character. Megan is literally an AI. It's, it's literally Ultron. You know, in that right. way that Ultron does not specifically have, or Data, when Data is evil, for instance, doesn't specifically have an evil agenda. It's not a personality. It's a, no, I'm doing this because I'm interpreting it this way. It's right. that logical killer robot. It's, it's every Asimov-based, you know, killer robot movie. It's, it's iRobot when you boil it down. It, it, you know, you've, you've seen versions of this before, but like I say, it's like The Invisible Man, like Blumhouse's Invisible Man from a couple of years ago. It's Blumhouse's version, and it turns out that Blumhouse are bloody good at doing these movies. This is uh, d- uh, directed by Gerard Johnston, who's not really a sort of an, a, a banner-name director, and yet it's one of those that's done so wonderfully under the tutelage of the banner, like Marvel Studios, like in the way that you know there's not going to be a particularly badly handled Marvel Studios movie. It's handled in that way. It comes with that Blumhouse guarantee on there, and it really works. There's a performance in there I want to single out as well. This is joyously schlocky. Like, it knows it's a B-movie. It knows. It is to the Child's Play remake what Upgrade was to a Robocop's remake. Right? It is joyously B-movie schlocky. You've got Alison Williams from Girls playing the, you know, your toy company Hasbro employee aunt. You've got Ronnie Chang as her boss absolutely stealing the show. And then... In the middle of it all, because the child herself, like the kid victim, who is very mid-90s, very Elijah Wood in The Good Son kind of thing, uh, very mid-90s there, um, she's quite forgettable. But you've got Anna, uh, not Annabelle, but sorry, Megan. So I mean, like Annabelle, like she, she has name. that fixture. You have that fixture like, like Annabelle, and an instantly iconic character at the centre of it all. And the way that Megan herself is realised is quite fun, which is you've got a physical performance, like an Andy Serkis-style mocap performance um, from, I think it's Amy Donald. And, oh, my God, it's creepy. Like, we're talking, like, writhe, small female Doug Jones creepy. Ambidextrous creepy. And it's so wonderfully effective. I think, I forget who, who does, who provides the voice. But the visage has been designed to look quite tippy hedron. And, and, and just quite, something quite late 60s Stepford Wives school mom about her. It's wonderful. I really loved it. It's it's one of those movies, like a three-star predictable movie. But being Blumhouse and the way they've staged it makes it a four-star good time. I mean, it's on my list. I love a good sci-fi horror. horror. So um, if you want to see it, it's Megan and it is out from today. Um, so that is all we've got time for this week. We are going to be back, of course, uh, next week when we are going to be looking at The Substitute. Yes, we've got the substitute next week. We've got Alice Darling as well. New one with uh, uh, Anna Kendrick, who I've not seen the movie uh, for a while. And Book of uh, Vision. Who's in Book of Vision? This is the weirdest one for me. Book of Vision uh, is is I, th- I think this might be the directorial debut of actor Charles Dance. Oh. You know, Charles Dance from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's one of those guys. I, I walk past this guy all the time in train stations somehow. I don't know what that is. I always see Charles Dance at train stations. Sliding like doors. Thing. 
Yeah, that he is my sliding door celebrity. That's what that is. <laughs> um, we've we've also got. Well, we're not going to get to review Babylon next week because I didn't get to see it uh, on time. I don't think. But uh, oh no, we will get we will get to review sorry Babylon next week. So we get to review this week, and we've got more than ever. But uh, it's it's looking to be an interesting roster next week. But uh, th- th- oh, it's getting closer to awards season. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, some some Spielberg action. We've got some Spielberg action about a fortnight, three weeks after that. I'm looking forward to that one. They're all lining up. They're all getting ready and uh, keeping their fingers crossed that uh, they get the awards. Um, so yeah, bumper week next week. Uh, so we will see you then. Uh, this has been off screen. I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. Ta-da!